When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com, code SUMMER. It's time for the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with me, Russell, him, Peter. Hello, Peter. Hey, Russ. Recovered from Saturday. Um, yes, yes, I was absolutely fine. I don't know what you're suggesting there. Um, I had one or two drinks, nothing more. <laughs> uh, yes, I have recovered, thank you. And um, we also have with us a returning gent, the gent, Mr. Raymond Wright. Hello, Raymond. Hello, Russell. And uh, but both of you were at the Worthing game, weren't you? Yeah. Yes. Yep. And it was a great day out. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there, Raymond, but um, we had a good time. Um, the results obviously wasn't perfect because it was a one-all draw, but Hornchurch were on very good form. I think they won. Oh, sorry, at home with a one-all draw, really, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. I know we did. We felt very, very familiar in those uh, surroundings. <laughs> it was good to meet up with the guys that we'd had on previous podcasts from Worthing, which is the common matchday commentator and Rebel Yell Live presenter, um, Peter Vale. And also uh, James Easton, who's his co-commentator, uh, both Worthing fans now as well, adopted adopted them long since. And um, it was good to meet up with them. Bumped into an old school friend in the clubhouse at half-time as well, Neil. Um, it was good to see him. And there was a few other friends came along with us. Uh, John couldn't make it in the end, but we had Ian from Portsmouth. And we had um, Duncan and his son came along, friends of the show. Andy Bass, of course, who we did have on the podcast. And um, we also saw Alan Wares from Albion Raw. And um, we saw Phil Shelley, the old uh, football shirts guy, um, who's got his website. And he'll be coming on the show at some point as well. Um, it was good to meet up with them, uh, Phil's wife as well, and many more besides. So it was a good day out, wasn't it, Peter? Yeah, what percentage of the crowd do you think you actually knew already? By <laughs> uh, pro- probably quite a few. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know much. And 1,300 <laughs> there as well. Brilliant, brilliant crowd, actually. I mean, Russell, it's if you knew the whole crowd. <laughs> yes, I, I mean, if give, give me some time. I think I'll achieve it, yeah. <laughs> he was on the um, commentary as well. He was on the Worthing live commentary as well at one point, waffling on yes. about Worthing or about the score. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I chatted to Peter when he was doing the commentary and um, just ad- ad-libbed a little bit on the commentary itself. And then as I looked away to chat to James, who I'd not met before, um, split second of getting distracted talking to him, Worthing scored, so I missed the goal. 
um, even though I was standing in the most advantageous position to get a good view of it. Never mind. Um, but it was it was it was good fun. It was a good day out and uh, enjoyed it. We'll certainly go back. And as we're recording this on Tuesday, they've got a very big game as as we mentioned on the podcast yeah. last time. They've got Folkestone and Victor, not Folkstone, <laughs> as James was saying, Folkestone and Victor, who've got a couple of games in hand on them. They're not too far behind, and although Worthing are technically right ahead at the top of the table. They could get clawed back if they were to lose that. So they've got to avoid defeat, preferably a win, to put some distance in there. I'd, I'd also um, say if you, ever find, if you ever find yourself in Worthing, the Corner House and the and the Brookstead are both very good pubs and can be highly recommended. Yeah, cracking pub. To, uh, the corner. a few pubs in my life. Yeah, <laughs> just one or two. The Corner House was great. It's about a 10-minute walk, the opposite way from from the station but it's um it's not that far to walk back anyway about 10 minutes or so do good food really good range of beers and um it's a pub that used to be a bit dowdy and overlooked and not much going on there but it's a really nice nice place now nice staff everything was good and the brooksteed is the one walkable to the ground with kind of it's a craft it's a micro pub basically um isn't it really uh converted shop with loads of room at the front we sat outside even though it was cold after the game and they let us have um thai food from next door which was nice too and very needed, I think, by then. It was indeed, yeah. And um, yes, we did need to soak up some alcohol. Anyway, that's enough about wording for now, but good luck to them tonight as we speak. Yeah, um, they win. So on to, on to um, well, we got rid of that one all draw, and then we got yet another one on Sunday when we tuned in to watch the Albion game. I mean, I listened on the commentary, um, no, and I, I later, later I... watched the game back on Sky because they showed the whole game back live, uh, well, as live, which was great, so I got to see the whole game later. Um Peter I, I'm, and Raymond, I, I'm guessing you guys saw just saw, saw the match of the day highlights. I've seen match of the day, yeah, that's the, the main highlights I've seen. Yeah, yeah. and Raymond, that's same? my main. I've yeah. seen another uh, bit on um, somewhere which showed slightly different highlights, but uh, but okay. not yeah. not substantially different. Okay, great. Well, um, yeah, I mean, in, in a word, then. Um, the lineups, um, they had Schmeichel in goal, of course, which is a big problem because he's a very good goalie, as he proved. Um, Justin was coming back at right back, who'd been out for a long time. Amati came back into their back line. Um, and other notables, I guess, um, Dewsbury Hall, who's been doing really well recently, was involved in the team. Lookman, who they signed in the summer. Sounds like a stately home, doesn't he, Dewsbury Hall? <laughs> yeah, it does indeed, yeah. Um, Madison and Barnes, the attacking creative talent that's always dangerous and they had um of course and Wepu's compatriot uh Pats and Daka up front and it was him who ended up scoring the goal for Leicester for the Albion and um, we lined up with Sanchez in goal uh, effectively a back four really Veltman with Webster and Burns Central Cucurella on the left uh, we then had Alzate Grosh and McAllister uh with Moda generally further forward um in the midfield for us Trossard and then Morpe up front and just to quickly go through the subs Veltman uh, replaced by March on 77 minutes. Um, so the other subs were, um, well, Lamptey, Dunk, uh, coming back into the squad. Lalana, Sherpin, Welbeck, Casado, Hayden Roberts and Leonard. Um, and obviously um, of, of the subs, Welbeck and Lamptey also came on as well as March, um, just after the hour for Alzate and Grosh. So that was, that was the general stats on the players themselves. Um, what do we make of the game? Because yet another one-all draw, yet another equaliser, um, yet another game unbeaten away from home. Um, we've still only lost one game away from home this season, which is incredible, including um, a cup match as well. Um, and the stats, I mean, if you look at them, 56% possession, 
pretty typical for us to, to dominate the ball. Um, other than that, the, the stats were pretty close. They had 15 shots to our 14. We had five shots on target each. Um, we had five corners to their four. Similar number of fouls. All the stats were, were saying it was an even game. From the commentary and from what I saw on the replay, full match replay, I would agree with that by and large, um, but we could have maybe taken it at the end. So, I mean, let's go, Raymond, let's go to you first. Um, what, were your, what was your take on the game? And what were your main thoughts? Well, uh, judging on the feedback from um, some people from the, the uh, reading different reports, uh, they seem to have been the better team in the first half. And, and mm. we were a, a bit slow. Um, you know, so, OK, but slow. And they were really doing it. But in the second half, um, we obviously made one or two tactical moves and changes. And particularly from when Lamptey and Welbeck came on, we seem to become the, the more dominant side and more and more dangerous side. Um, I think it's fortunate that we conceded two minutes into the second half mm. because they didn't offer, or Dota Pieta offered as much after that. Um, and Webster, having had a stellar game against uh, Chelsea uh, in midweek, um, rather you know, wasn't at those heights. And his clearance at the beginning of the second half, unfortunately, he just didn't get enough on it. meant that he was slightly out of position. Leicester got the ball, attacked down the inside left channel. Hmm. Goal. So it yeah. was, uh, it sort of, in a sense, came from a half mistake from us that, that they got the thing. And the ball sort of pinged around. I mean, Sanchez did quite a good from a, a sort of reaction save. Um, from uh, I think it was Barnes, um, and uh, sorry, ignore that phone call. And uh, and then of course Sanchez got saved it, and 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 Daka sort of was on in the right spot to put it into the net. Um, mm. I thought Sanchez had quite a good game. What I could see, he seems to have made a number of good saves. Yeah, mainly with his legs actually, but but regardless, yeah. It's going... He had a good game, I thought. I mean, I, there was two or three players, I thought, from looking at the game that didn't seem to have their best. And it was players that I'm a big advocate of. And Webster, I don't think, was at his absolute best. I think McAllister had a pretty poor game. Not for the one to try him, but, um, you know, there was, a, there was a few sloppy moments, including shots from range. He wasn't the only one on that score. Modder's shooting wasn't great. But Modder had a better game, I thought. Um, Peter, would you? what was your thoughts from it? I know you only saw the highlights as opposed to the whole game, but... Um, what did you glean from it? Yeah, I mean, I think what Raymond was saying is right. I mean, it's pretty much the, the literal oh, game of two halves, isn't it, really? You know, you can't really... Uh, yeah, want to use uh, or t- two, a game of two halves, one of which was one minute into it or whatever, obviously they scored. But then after that, it sounds like Leicester from Leicester fans' comments, they sat back a bit and there were a bit more defensive and went changed formation and we basically took control. And, yeah, it showed oh. that, that we were well down on all the stats at half-time and, and ended up level... Um, we were the ones pushing at one all. There was only one team from the salary in it. Um, so yeah, I think it's. I think yeah, I think from what you from what you said, like, McAllister maybe didn't have his game. He's had so many good games recently that you know he's going to maybe kind of. You're always going to have. You can't play brilliantly every game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah. I think that's the way it's going to be like that. Um, I went on the Leicester podcast, Leicester Till I Die, with uh, Chris. He's a good guy. Actually, he's invited me on before. And you might remember he came on our one as well. I don't think we were on that episode, but he, he came on. And um, so I was on his one last night. And um, 
I mean, his his general notion was it was probably about a fair result. I'd go along with that on the overall balance. He seemed to have taken issue with someone who'd replied to him on his on his own um, social media stuff, suggesting that, um, that that we battered them and <laughs> they got away with one. Um, I do I, I agree with him that I don't think that was a correct reflection of the game. Um, um, I don't know if that fan saw the match or not. Who knows? But he seemed a bit irked by that. But I, I do think that. Um, his perspective on us has changed because he was saying based on last season, I think this time last year, they were third in the table apparently. And, you know, in general, they had a good season. Um, he was expecting to get a good result from our place. And I think maybe underestimated us by his own admission. However, um, you know, with our record at home, that's not completely unfair for him to have thought that. We that hadn't team. beaten them in Premier League until this season. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So so it's fair enough that they came in with confidence in that game. But he was quick to quell a lot of other people's overconfidence that they could and should get the win against us at their place later in the season because he'd seen what we're like and he knows what our record's like away from home, unlike obviously some of their other fans. And he wasn't surprised that we were able to stop them. And he and I think others were genuinely in fear of how things might pan out towards the end. Um once we got that equaliser, which was so uncharacteristically early for us, the 82nd minute, Peter, very early. Um, but obviously, that what that did, that left us, well, probably about 12, 13 minutes to get our typical late, late drama and um, game-changing goal yeah, late in the game. And we, um, we could close. easily have done so. Yeah, we came yeah. close. We, yet again, we kept going, didn't we? It was the mental strength, it's the physical strength, stamina, and, and the right mental attitude, yeah. we had it's, some chances. It's really funny that, obviously, last year we, we we scored the first goal a lot. I mean, I think the majority of games we scored first and squandered so many points from that position. This year, we seem to have gone the other way because we've only, I think, only scored first seven times. No, we've only hmm. gone ahead seven times in games. We've only scored first six because we well, didn't score first against Burnley in our win. Hmm. Uh, yeah. We scored first in our other five wins in Newcastle home. And the rest of the games, other than the like, three nil nils, we conceded first, and yet we've only lost four games. So it's, it's a, if we can combine last season's scoring first, this season's holding on to leads, we're going to win the Premier League next season. Yeah, I mean, Chris, the Leicester fan, said that we've got a better away record than Man City this season. I haven't actually got round to checking that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised given that we've only lost one game away. Um, Maybe, yeah, lost fewer or something. Yeah, yeah, but it's. Oh, you could look at it and think so many draws. I mean, that's 12 now from 22 games. And by the way, it started to get flagged up by a lot of people that um, the, the actual record for a 38 game top flight season is 17, jointly held apparently by Newcastle, Sunderland, and I can't remember who the other team is Southampton. Was it Southampton? No, it wasn't. Uh, somebody else. The three teams anyway who hold the record jointly. Um, and we're, 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 we're going to smash that, to really, that. aren't we? We've got 16 games left. <laughs> yeah, I think, we, I think we will. Yeah, because there's a lot of games there you look at and you think that those are likely to be draws. I mean, same thing. I think if we, if it, we have a pretty even run for us the season and we draw a third of our games, we still get a new record. So, yeah, yeah. And on the one hand, you can look at that and think that's so frustrating. How many more games? Could we have, or oh, how many more points could we have got? How much further could we be up in the table? When you analyse it, you think, well, we've come back into games and got late equalisers quite a lot. So, whatever game you look at and think, well, we dominated Arsenal and should have got a winner. Yes. And Newcastle, yes. And Newcastle, and uh, Leeds, yes. 
But then there's also games where we yeah. probably a bit lucky to get the equaliser. So yeah. I, th- I think we're where we should be at the moment. Exactly. And I think you, you look at those and a few of a couple of the early wins were a little bit fortunate as well in some ways. So, but yeah, if you look at, you, you'd say Arsenal, Norwich, Leeds, the three nil nils and Newcastle, we sh- probably feel we should have won all of those. We dominated three, two of them. We should have, we should have beaten Norwich really, even though they, they missed us. Uh, and, and I think Mope possibly got a penalty that day. And then Newcastle, we were one nil up and cruising and then from nowhere they scored. So, but yeah, there's so many others on the other side, eight others draws where we've gained points from behind and including five of the last six, I think it is now. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, the unbeaten run is 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 gathering pace now. Is it seven games? I think, and all, yeah. including six in the league. Is that right? Um, you know, so that's that's kind of going along nicely. Um, our position in the table is stable. It's you know we're still four points out of Leicester for one thing. They've got the two games in hand. We're still ninth in the table. We we are actually getting a bit lonely now. We're four points behind Wolves and four ahead of Leicester. Um, so if they weren't to win their games in hand, play and play and win them now, um, things are getting quite lonely. Um, what we'll do, actually, because uh, Raymond, in case you're wondering, is still with us technically, but he looks like he did have to take that call, whoever that was. So we've muted him for now. He'll be back, I'm sure, in a moment or two. Um, but in the meantime, maybe just quickly while we're on the subject of the table, just quickly switch tack and talk about the rest of the division. Um, I mean, there's not much to talk of, of interest to us in the, the top of the table, other than to say Southampton have managed a consecutive draw with Man City, which, in, given Liverpool, managed to beat our lovely friends, from South London, which I enjoyed. Um, there's only a, I say only, there's a nine-point gap now between the two sides, and Liverpool do have a game in hand, and they would technically have the superior goal difference, all, all things considered, if they caught City. So so they're only six behind if they win that. It just keeps it a little, at least it's a little bit alive, isn't it? I don't yeah. think they're going to catch them. but They'd have uh, to but, go to City and win, I think. So they've still got to play at... at, at yeah. yeah. So they'd have to yeah. go to City and win. Because um, he won't draw too many points against smaller teams, will they? Southampton's no. a, an anomaly, really. Yeah. Um, Raymond is back. I've got you on mute at the moment, Raymond. I'm going to just um, release you, but I'll, I'll bring you back in in a second. We were just talking about the uh, results um, elsewhere. The one really, the one that stand out I did want to talk about was uh, the Everton um, situation. We've, I mean, they lost at home to Villa, which is a poor result, obviously, again, for them. They need to get results. They've had, um, you know, a, a series of bad scores. Duncan Ferguson has come in in temporary charge after Rafa's sacking for now. Uh, but it's left Everton, given that Newcastle uh, managed to win. Um, Newcastle are third bottom now with 15, Watford second bottom with 14, and Burnley 12 points at the bottom with 100 games in hand. Um, above Newcastle by point is Norwich, on 16 and then you've got Everton on 19 and, and Everton do have well between one and two games in hand on um, on the teams directly below them but they are really getting sucked into it aren't they now um, I think Leeds another three ahead with a game in hand probably still okay but I think Everton downwards is where it's probably going to be at and um, they're in real danger here they've got a series of games I think of similar quality to ours IG, uh, i.e. winnable games but given their situation and their form, they probably don't. I'm not sure they even want to get those games in at the moment until they get some degree of, of form back. Um, I don't know what um, Raymond, you've joined, rejoined us. Um, yeah, they're at Newcastle <laughs> uh, next as well. Who Everton have got Newcastle away? Yeah, that's a massive game. So, so if they lost that, um, they would be just one point adrift. 
um, of I, I have of to Everton. say, Russell, I was yeah. um, I, I was in the Enville position uh, at the weekend of wanting two teams playing against you. And I wasn't quite sure how that could happen. So I wanted both Leeds and Newcastle to lose in the same game. <laughs> it could be a bit tricky, that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. And when it feels that Everton playing sort of Newcastle, I feel rather the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I quite often yeah. find myself wanting both teams to lose. Any time, man, you were playing someone who's struggling in the Premier League or Palace are playing someone who were struggling near us in the Premier League in the old when we used to be down the bottom, I'd, I'd want both teams to lose. So. Yeah. I mean, well, I, Arsenal. I mean, on, absolutely should, should never say this as a Brighton supporter, but I'm almost of the situation where I actually feel Palace are playing some quite good football this year and not the turgid stuff they've been playing the last few years. And I feel that they are, based on what one's seen, more meritorious of staying in the, in the Premier League than the most of the other teams we've just mentioned. Do you think we need to mute Peter, uh, mute uh, Raymond again there, Peter? Um, that's an outrageous comment. You're not allowed to say yeah. that sort of thing on that. I, I know. Which actually brings us round quite nicely to the game that I think is the most interesting game from last weekend. Well, the technically it was played Friday night. Um, was was Watford nil Norwich 3, which obviously we now have brought the end of uh, certain uh, Claudio Ranieri. And it looks like a return for an ex-Palace manager. Looks like Diggly quite- ding, diggly gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's officially been announced yet, but it sounds like Hodgson is on his way there, which is an interesting. Yeah, story. exactly. Yeah, uh, and of, of course, um, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's something like that. Is it their fifteenth manager in five years or something? And yeah. something it's, crazy it's, it's, like that. His first home game will be against us as well, which means we're guaranteed to lose. Oh, the it, new manager bounce again. Is it that third or fourth manager this season? Third manager this season. Third this season, yeah. This will be the third, yeah. And they're, they're saying, looking at the um, stats and how he's done, given he's inexperienced and given he was in um, the early stages and settling into a new division, Cisco, I think his name is, isn't it? Um, seems to have been a little bit hard, by, hard done by. Yeah. Not exactly a surprise when you're talking about a Watford manager, but had been a little bit hard done by. And I'm wondering if they would have been better off just sticking with him and see how he could develop over a season because they've, they've, yeah, it's not done I, any good, is it? I agree. I think I think the problem is there was some I read somewhere earlier that when you're as a player, when you sign for Watford or when you play for Watford, you know the manager is going to be so temporary that it they, it's probably quite hard to respect a manager in that sense because you know it's like you you know that they're probably going to be gone in six months anyway or you know if they last a year that's a, a minor miracle. I mean it's it's crazy the amount of times they've they, they basically even in promotion seasons they change their manager at least once. And it's it, it, they've got away with it a lot over the years, but eventually it's going to come home to reason. I did, I never understood the Ranieri appointment. He had he, you know yes he did amazing stuff at Leicester, but a few years later he last time he was dreadful at Fulham and did absolutely nothing. And ha- actually in very similar circumstances he got sacked, didn't he? He came in you know, at a certain point in the season, didn't turn it around, and then got sacked anyway. So yeah. As a proper discussion point, should the owners of Watford? decisive for bringing the, the game into disrepute because they changed their managers so <laughs> I mean I'm, sort of semi-serious point because they changed them so to, it, I think they're just regarding it's ridiculous that people go in and a few weeks later are out and then somebody else comes in a few weeks later they're out and I think they should almost be in a situation where if you're appointing somebody you've got to stick with them or you'll be thrown out of the uh, out of that division 
I, I do think I don't think they should be brought into pretty different view. I don't necessarily think that's a, that's a realistic thing. I think there's. I do wonder if there isn't an argument with for clubs for any club really to have a managerial window as well as a player window transfer window. So you can change manager in the summer, but and you can change manager in January. But if you want to change manager in between that, you have to just appoint someone internally. And whether that, yeah, I quite like that. Like Everton, like Everton, like the turnover. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So they have to stick with Ferguson until now, or or till the summer. They couldn't decide in February. They've had enough. So, it, which is effectively what they have to do with the players that they've recruited. Yeah, exactly. Well. I wonder whether that could work because it does feel like it does feel a bit crazy that some you know the number of times some teams change manager over the over. The I mean, it is. It is. It is. Watford. But, I mean, Watford are the prime example of of changing. You know. I mean, it's another month, it's another manager. I yeah, think one, well, one season they had four, didn't they? Although, to be fair, that was the year they asked to Garcia and he was ill. So it wasn't just... Yeah, so that was one was unforeseen. But yeah. they still had four. But, I mean, it was great. Um, Dan, who uh, is a friend of the show, also known to many as early, on, on one of the WhatsApp groups I'm on, he just posted a thing saying, only 17 more managers, uh, Watford managers till Christmas. Okay. <laughs> that was great. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it really is a farce, isn't it? And, and Tom, friend of the show, I think he listened in. Hello, Tom, who's a, a now Brighton-based, but Barnet born and bred um, supporter. I mean, he was he was sort of flanking up the fact that Barnett's record with managers over the same five year period is even worse. It's twenty one. I think it's was it yeah twenty one versus Watford fifteen, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely insane. Although he did say four of those is Martin Allen. <laughs> Who five, they, I think. Martin Allen's been five. There five okay. Yeah, a serious, serially appointed manager. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, strange, strange situation. But but anyway, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we won't digress too much on Barnett other than to say that they really but, need but, to settle themselves as but, well. Sticking with with Watford and Ranieri, how yeah. much of the success of Ranieri at Leicester was really down to uh, what Pearson had done beforehand? Because they started that run with Pearson, mm. didn't they, at the end of the previous season? Yeah, I, I so how much mm. they obviously brought in? Did they brought in? I think they brought in Kante that summer, didn't he? Which obviously made a huge difference. I mean, yes. The yeah. thing you need to get lucky with a few signings to get, I mean, I don't think anyone else will get near to that point, but again, now, but I think Leicester have ruined it for anyone else. But to get in top six, if you're in our position, you need to get lucky with a couple of signings or one or two yeah. of our just to really kind of well, come they, and, and they had Kante sort of winning the ball and, and breaking yeah. up the turn. But they also had Vardy knocking goals and, you know, for, yeah. from a and Vardy, I remember Leicester fans in the Championship saying they, that Vardy was overrated and didn't actually offer anything in the Championship. And you know, well, and then obviously came through from nowhere and started scoring goals. I mean, you know, drink, look at Drinkwater. I mean, what's he done since then? Since yeah, then? I mean, he's struggling with with Reading now, and then they're, they're still struggling down the bottom. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, my view on Leicester is, I think it was it was a perfect storm, positive perfect storm of yeah, the groundwork that Pearson did can't be underestimated, but you can't really give him too much credit because he wasn't there for for, for the title. It was yeah, it's Ranieri's team in terms of the motivation, the organisation, the tactics. And they just played a counter-attacking game, got in the zone, had a load of players that just stayed fit, for one thing, um, really just gelled really well together, which may be down to Ranieri, it may just be happen chance, whatever. Um, And they just seemed to get in the zone and they just didn't ever get out of it. And you'd expect during the season that at some point that was going to unravel, at least to some degree. And they never really had a lull, did they? Has and, to be said also they had a very low points total for what actually winning the league was. I mean, I'm not yeah. 
undermining yeah. Leicester. But I mean, normally they wouldn't have been close with that points total. No, they? that's the other thing. Yeah, I mean, it was the other part of the perfect storm is is that none of the big sides were yeah. at a good moment. They they were all but in in transition. Or, City or City the City hadn't kept slope. the Pellegrini mid season that he probably or said they were going to mid season. They probably would have won a title that year. I mean, but I mean, on paper, who would you have expected a team with like Simpson, Hooth, you know? Morgan, Morgan like that to win the title. Okay. I mean, linking Leicester to Brighton, well, I see parallels between that side and, and Arsenal. But, you know, Basuma's like, like Kante. And what we haven't got, the big difference is we haven't got the equivalent of Vardy. Oh, yeah, we certainly don't. No, I mean, that's, and, and that's a big difference. We've drawn 12 games, and just if we'd say one half of those half of those drawn games, another 12 points, 42 points mm. would be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, when yeah. we're moving... We also the... haven't got anyone close to as good as Mares either, or as good as as good as Kante, because no one is really in the Premier League. I mean, Pesuma's a very good player in that position, but he's not Kante. Yeah, well, I, I think there's, there's, there are some parallels. There's, there's definitely some parallels. I think we moved the ball quickly through the channels. I think we're more of a, a front-footed team. Leicester are count, more counter-attacking, weren't they, yeah. by and large. But I, I do think we moved the ball quickly. Um, we've got that same sort of zest that Leicester had in that team. I don't think we're going to get anywhere near winning a title with unless we, we have some continued upgrades in, in, in playing staff. We'd have to have a Vardy-type striker at the top of his game uninjured for a whole season to have any dreams of that to start with. But we'll just have two Vardy um, type strikers if you're gonna go that far, you yeah, know. Yeah. Then we have, then one can be like not quite on form, the other one can be on form. Yeah. Well still about to what but went down. Is there anybody there that you fancy like Dennis or somebody? Well Sar and Dennis are the obvious two, but then I think Sar's gonna cost far too much for for us. Dennis looks good but I mean he very much seems a one-season wonder. He hasn't done nothing ever before to suggest he'd be as good as he has been. So you wonder whether he's going to be a one of those one-season wonders that someone spends a load of money on and then doesn't ever, you know, do that same thing again. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I'm I'm not too fussed if we went in for Dennis and we thought he was the man. I'd support that and say, okay, fine, let's give it a go, see how it goes. But I'm not too fussed about that. Um, one man we have got who's scoring the goals, steering it back to the game from Sunday, is. Danny Welbeck, who we've we've had this um, you know this um, surgery that he's had done, they're hoping they found and sorted the source of the main problem he had. Um, so far, so good. Very early days, but he's he's consistently now appearing for us on this occasion. You know, he's starting, and he um, no, he, he's not on this occasion. Sorry, sorry not on this the occasion. Bench. He's coming off the bench. Sorry, and in the previous game starting, yeah. and and he um, you know, he's he's getting the goals. He's scoring headed goals. He's taking his chances. He had a, he had another headed goal, which nearly sorry, a headed shot, which nearly went in as well. Um, so, I mean, Raymond. I mean, obviously, it depends if we can keep him fit, but he's part sorry, of the not, solution at least, isn't he? Yes, he is. I mean, I mean, it's interesting that all his goals are season ahead of us, but uh, uh, so he hasn't shot decently yet. But um, <laughs> but it's uh, no. I mean, it, it has made a difference. I mean, how many games has he been back for? About five. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. he hasn't played all of any of them. And and three goals is not a bad return. What is I have a feeling he might have been on the bench against Brentford, but not used possibly. Um, hmm. but, yeah. but in terms of the, yeah, I think Chelsea might have been his first game when he actually came on. But it's, it does show what having a focal point when you play possession-based football that 
you know, we're not necessarily the quickest build-up sometimes. It does pay to have someone in the box who's a bit taller than Mope is. You know, Mope, yeah. Mope but he's not the biggest up against centre-halves to win the ball in the air. So having what? someone who's a bit taller like Welbeck does make a huge difference. Welbeck do... came on at half time against Brentford, by the way. Did he? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, go I, on. Yeah. I think that they link quite well together. It always slightly, you know, I, said, I, I think it's slightly disappointed when they're not on the pitch together. I mean, a good example of them working well together was Morpo's fantastic cross and Welbeck's header for the goal. Uh, oh, yeah. on I wasn't Sunday. saying that. I wasn't uh, saying instead of Mope, I was saying having him there as a focal point means that. You know, it's, Mope isn't the focal point. You can, you can, you know, do other stuff as well. Basically, I wasn't saying yeah, just slightly instead of him. Yeah, the link-up play though. You're right, Raymond. And um, before the goal, there was also a couple of other moments where there was some really good interplay between the two. Uh, the one, one bit in particular, I remember Welbeck went down the left-hand channel and just um, did some good little interplay with um, Morpe. Eventually, the move came to nothing, but there part in the move was, was pretty good and obviously the goal you've mentioned um, and yeah I think when they're on the pitch together they it looks like there's a good understanding between them so the if we ever wanted to play with a straight though, forward too the problem is who you don't play for that because you want to play mm. Trossard you want to play McAllister um, mm. you know at the moment you can't drop either of those two yeah. is well, I, with Trossard I, McAllister Welbeck and Malpe on the pitch I think it's if someone's unavailable that, that you've got it as an option, I guess. I don't think Graham will generally want to play a conventional front two in the, in that sense, but it's an option he might take on either during a game for, for adapting reasons, tactical reasons, or due to lack of uh, personnel, maybe. It might be suitable. Um, maybe to I, experiment I really, with that in a cup match, that sort of thing. What I really like is over the last like, few few months or so is with Lamptey playing further forward because obviously he came on, on on Sunday and yeah the bits that the clips I saw he, he looked brilliant and the way he took that uh, the Leicester player on to then cross for Welbeck's head, other header was just brilliant. I mean he's teams can't deal with him. If we can keep him fit, I reckon he could go for a lot a lot more than Ben White did. He's he's just electric. He's just so hard to deal with and he's so quick. And yeah, he's like when he yeah if he he'll keep improving over the next or two if he can stay fit end the rest rest of this season and hold of next season mostly obviously he can one or two games out most of the season I reckon next by next summer he'll be seventy million probably sort of thing because you can't play, teams can't deal with him. We've got think, a lot of happy problems potentially the, coming, haven't we? <laughs> I think one of the reasons that um, he's not asking him to track right back all the time. When he was at right back, um, or, and, there was it, and there was a back three, that he was having to, to cover a huge lot of ground. No, he's not having to go back that extra 15, 20, 20 metres. Yeah, it also, um, it also reduces the issue of his lack of height as well, as we saw when he, when he yeah. brought on Batshuayi against Palace when he was trying to mark him at the far post. It does... It can be a slight issue if teams target that in the far post, whereas if he's playing further forward and we have a right back as well, then that kind of reduces the issue of that and gets him in the, if you say, in the final third where he can actually focus on absolutely terrorising defences, which is great. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's where he can then more, more readily um, fulfil that suggestion I've come up with of him just lurking on the halfway line at, at defensive corners to be the first breakaway man potentially as well. Or we all not necessarily centrally, just to the side somewhere. Um, to, to aid a sub yeah, no, I, I, I have noticed mm. not in the sort of mix of marketing but being 
sort of two or three yards outside of our penalty area defensively. So if the ball gets and not cleared that thing, Lamps is there, can close the player down quite quickly. So I don't know if that's the Potter's thinking, using his pace defensively in that way. I also think he he might feel that Lamptey personally might feel he's got a better chance of an England cap on further forward as well. Because if you look at England's strength, probably right back is about the strongest position we have. With with Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker, Reese James, Trippier, you know, there's so many quality right backs. You know, even James Justin's not bad actually. Who mm-hmm. we're up against at the weekend, James Justin. If he yeah. gets back to if he form. took, he he terrorised us last year at um, Leicester, didn't he? He was on the mm-hmm. one that was behind there. So I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of right backs who are quite a, lot, a number of whom are quite young. Whereas further forward, he may feel he has a better chance of being going to play. You know, you know, four three three if he can play in a front three or in a you know wide midfield in a four four two or something like that. Then England, you know, he might get an England call up, and he. You know, well, he does feel like he's a little bit off the levels of the, the current right backs in the, and that's the other side. Of course, he does want to go. Where does he go? Because there's a lot of good quality right backs already around at the moment, and you know, mm. like they've got Reese James, and obviously have already already decided to him over Lamptey. Liverpool obviously have got Alexander Arnold. Well, I I just thought that for the last, you know, that Lamptey's featured in, he's actually shown that. In his first few games back, as if he's sort of got a bit more confidence in in running. But mm. uh, I think actually, Peter, it's a good one because apart from anything else, there's somebody like Lamptey, because he has played a lot of right back, can actually stay deeper and cover for uh, another fullback going forward. So that mm. that, that would. I mean, as somebody who supports Scotland, I shouldn't be recommending this, but I can see the advantage England would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was saying it's a good problem to have in a way if you've got a player who's so good and, and potentially so valuable that we could, you know, we could get a lot of money for him, but we'd lose an asset. But I think it shows we're doing a lot of stuff right. Another player who we signed, who I don't think had the greatest game against Leicester, but I mentioned before, Adam Webster, you know, he he's starting to be the latest person they're bigging up in the media I noticed that the Sky at the weekend on their pre-match special program had um, a couple of players bigging him up um, namely Michael is it Michael or Matthew Dawson the, the guy that's on there Michael Dawson I think um, Dawson. Yeah. yeah and he, he apparently made I think his debut against one of them made their debut against the other in the championship and he knew he was a good player and he's not surprised to see him do so well thinks he's fleshed out a bit more now as well um, always thought he'd be good, and and you know they were really bigging him up. They were saying, he, "Yeah, this is a great player." They showed the performance against Chelsea where he was outstanding, and the whole bursting run forward where he beat three players and got the ball back into the, into the middle is very Lawrence-esque. And you know, there's, there's certain other defenders, I suppose, a little bit Rio Ferdinandish kind of style of central defensiveness. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, he's looking like the latest one they're going to talk about. And I'm expecting Sanchez to get more praise as time goes on. And um, obviously, you know, Basuma goes without, goes without saying, so does Lamptey. There's a lot of assets there that people might be interested in. I wouldn't be surprised if Newcastle and teams like that come try and come calling. I know Villa have been interested in Basuma. And I, I know say a couple of years down the line, Everton will be once they've got their stadium and, and greater resource and organisation, maybe they might be another team. But it's it's who we sell when 
and why and how. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think as long as we're not selling too many, I mean, White was the right selling sale at the right time, I felt. Um, Basuma, maybe not now, maybe in the summer, might be the right time for that sale. We wouldn't want to be selling, for example, Basuma and Webster and Lamptey all in the mm-hmm. same window. Windfall or otherwise, that's no good to us because we need players as well. We're, yeah, I, we're in the zone now. I think I mean, we will... I mean, to what extent do we actually want to sell players? I noticed that Graham Potter the other day was quoted as saying we're not a selling club. And uh, I mean, if we want to build a team and be a, 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 a top 10, perhaps even a top 8 club, we can't afford to develop the players and then sell them. I think with White, I, th- I think they felt they had enough resource in central yeah. defence anyway yeah. and that they could probably cover it. Um, and they probably felt that there were one or two players coming through potentially, like um, uh, Van Hetch and, and others, that, you know, that they had a, a sort of conveyor belt. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree, I'm yes. Sure that we've, yeah. To what degree we've, we've missed White. I think we have on a couple of occasions, but not, not really. I think we would miss Basuma. I know we have, we've got away with it at the moment, but um, I, I'm not sure that trying to find a defensive midfielder who is as good in the tackle and interceptions and getting back and re- that's mm. easy because I'm not sure there's anybody you know there's Canty there are a couple of others but there's nobody really up at his sort of level from the point of view of tackles and interceptions so I, yeah. I wonder if we adapt then so I mean we've been moving towards four at the back more recently which means we have the three in midfield you know you look at Moden Wepu say and Lana or something like that or Moden Wepu and McAllister allowing for a bit more cover in midfield and and if you arguably, if you then go and spend that Basuma money on a striker who is better quality, then maybe you can afford to do that and have a one point fewer player further forward. Or, you know, it depends on. I look at. It, I mean, I've got confidence the club can go out and get the right players. If you look at it. I mean, you look at what they did with Kukurea in the summer. Wepu, I'm pretty confident will become. You know, he's looked pretty good recently. He's just got injured again. But before that, he was looking good. They made two big signings in the summer, and both of them have looked excellent. I mean, Kukurea has probably been one of our best signings for years. You know, he came straight yeah. as well, unusually for us. So I'm, and I'm with, confident the one worry is, can we get that striker? Because that's the one position really in the Premier League that we fail to actually fill constantly in terms of like real real quality. Obviously, Mope is very good, probably for what we, we need, but we need a bit, well, maybe another one of him or, or Welbeck, obviously, a fitness problem. So we've never quite solved that problem. Mm. Agreed. And I think our defence, you said about White, I, I do think it was the right time to sell him. If you look at our defence this season, that just bears it out. We've conceded 23 goals this year mm. in 22 games, which is a brilliant record um, in terms of, you know, not low numbers. Um, by far a better record than anyone below us, which is, you know, 11 teams below us. Um, even less than, yeah, Burnley have, have played um, a lot less games and they've already conceded four more than us as well, for what it's worth. Uh, and above us, I mean, you, you've got, we've got a better record in terms of concessions than every other team apart from the top three and the team who have the second best defence overall after Man City, which is Wolves. Yeah, Peter's already mouthing the word. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Obviously, Wolves do not have a very good scoring record. That's their problem. But, um, you know, yeah, defensively, we have certainly done all right. And um, I think given that we've had injuries, we've had Dunk out for quite a while. We have Webster out before that for quite a while. We've had Lamptey out when he... Okay, he's ended up being less of a defender, but and we've had burnout and Burns come back and Burns been a revelation. We even had recently. We even had Beltman out for about a game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
Um, so, I mean, just going back, steering it back to the Sunday match then, I mean, speaking about the defence, we've mentioned Sanchez had a good game, a lot of saves, mainly with his feet um, at crucial times. I think he did well. Defensively, I thought Byrne had a very good game. I thought Webster wasn't at his best, but it was OK. Kukurea did well. Um, and I thought that um, Veltman was solid enough. I think there was maybe one error. I'm trying to remember what it was now. But um, he had a largely good game, I think, overall. Um, Webster, arguably the man, possibly, that was a bit loose on the goal. Um, but I thought the midfield was great. Alzati, again, for me, was settled into his stride. I know, Raymond, I spoke to you earlier in the week, and some of the media weren't actually seeming to say much about him other than he was just there. But for others, um, it was claimed that he was having a good game. I thought he was really threading things together nicely from that defensive midfield position. And Modder was having a good game. as well now, so I see, I think. I have a feeling yes, I, I think he is in the Colombian squad. And McAllister's back in the Argentina squad. Argentinian one. Obviously, yeah. Uh, yeah, we would, Sarmiento would be in the extra one with with Casadian. We're apparently about to sign or close to signing a Paraguay international as well. So we're our South American uh, connections. Are <laughs> actually bare fruit. I think we're trying to get one pin on each country in the map there, aren't we? Well, we've already got Ecuador, though. We've got two, haven't we, there? Yeah. Can I just ask, yeah. ask, ask, uh, ask you a question? I mean, with people coming is part of that inconsistency the fact that you know, they've been out for a while and they're coming back. So Webster plays really well on Tuesday. Another game sort of five days later. And therefore, he's not quite at the same level. Uh, somebody who isn't used to playing week, you know, two games a week, like McAllister, plays really well against Chelsea, not quite as effective against uh, uh, Leicester. Is, is this people who haven't had the... of playing the PL sort of two matches a week, on the one hand, uh, they can't really play at the same level. Uh, and, and people coming back for injury. I mean, one of the... Byrne, it took him a couple of games back before he started doing... And, and talking of Byrne, I'm digressing. He seems to be so much stronger and better, I feel, playing in the centre of defence. Well, it's, yeah. it's no coincidence that he's... Hmm. Yeah. And his form has been at the level it has been. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Getting getting a run in the team. Yeah, a run in the team in his, his correct position, as you said, Peter, is is the key here. And I mean, he, he actually has some great passes he did as well. A really good long ranger down the left side, a really good incisive ball in to the outside left position from, from a more advanced position in another attack. Um, so he's got, he's got those elements to his game as well. But yeah, he looks more composed, more relaxed, more happy, I think, getting a run of games in his correct position. And, um, you know, he's filling in the gaps and we keep doing that now. We're getting players that will fill in nicely. Um, answered your question, Raymond. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I hope it's not a Tom, Thomas Tuchel excuse here, but, uh, you know, maybe they're not going to be at their top levels um, game in, game out if they're playing matches a few days apart. Um, but, I, yeah, it's not a surprise that they're going to, those, those levels will fluctuate a bit. I think that's perfectly normal and it's perfectly fine for that to be the case. You know, if we've got greater resource of numbers and then we can rotate it more if we want to in when in a compressed situation but um but no i think as it stands i think we're managing situation rather well and you know we've, we've got through a number of games here with some really positive results and, and performances and that's with these players missing at the moment dunk still out basuma having been out since um you know since christmas pretty much and then also having um 
uh, obviously Mwepu out as well. So we're, we're, we're missing players and yet still riding over that, which is great. You know, it'll be and interesting to see how he brings Dunk back. There's no real urgency to do it in a way, but does he give him the cup game and then see how he does and that sort of thing? Or does he you know, ease him back in quite gently? Or Dunk? Yeah. Um, I suspect he might play him against Spurs, yeah. And he might give him an hour or something and then with the scheduled change, Perhaps he might even play him in a 23s game because you can you can play a limited number in that role, can't you? Maybe yeah. just for match shortness, possibly. I think um, the cup game might be better because um, for the league game to start because yeah, I think they can, can you make five subs in the cup? I think still can't you? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you you don't really want to be making a centre half as one of your three subs, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You know, to make definite if you're in the league, but if you're in the cup, you can afford to yeah, with five subs, you can do that more easily. Yeah. Um, again, just keeping on the on the on I mean, the, the weekend player, team. I was, sorry, sorry. Raymond, go on. I was just going to say the other player, of course, who's out, which is a, talking of subs, is Sarmiento. Yeah, which again is frustrating because he was looking greatly promising from a sub appearance and then the beginning of that West Ham game. And we thought, brilliant, we've really landed on our feet here. Another player coming through the ranks who's hit the ground running, looking dangerous, not really seeing exactly what he's going to offer in attack, and boom, he's down injured and out for ages. And I'm gutted for him first as a young lad trying to make his way in and having done so for such a short period, but successfully so, and then to to have it cut so short so quickly, gutted for him. But yeah, he he looks a great prospect as well. And again, the beauty is we don't have to rush him back. We can let him recover over whatever period necessary here and not have any pressure on that. But um. He's, he's looking a great prospect as well, yeah. But, the, um, but I think the point about Sarmiento is that if we were playing Lamptey for, say, 65, 70 minutes, we were in a hmm. position with Sarmiento in that right-sided midfield world with somebody who had similar pace. Yeah. And yeah, not that's right. I mean, the difference that Lamptey made quite clearly on Saturday, on Sunday, rather, with his pace against Leicester, you know... That uh, I mean, you know, I sort of felt from what heard and what one did see on match of the day that suddenly Leicester had a real problem to deal with, which they hadn't mm. had to the same degree beforehand. Yeah, we looked more threatening after the um, the hour mark, didn't we? When we made those changes on, I think it was sixty-two minutes. Um, yeah, good definitely there was more. Sarmiento made back at the end of February, which is good because I think this season will be an obvious one to give him some game time. And see whether whether you look at it and whether he thinks he wants to go for a loan move next season to the championship or whether he's actually ready to be part of the squad. You know, it'd be quite a good perfect opportunity for the last couple of months if we're pumped to be safe and not really, you know, not got a huge amount of play for to give players like him, give Casido a Casado a go. Is he ready for a yeah. loan move? Or is he ready to come in? If we're gonna sell Basuma in the summer, is he someone who actually Basuma could he could come in for Basuma initially as an option? You know, and then gives us a chance to experiment. Is Alzati ready to maybe take over that role more or something like that? You know, it's... Mm. And if we if we manage to pull off a result at Spurs, which would be great, then we, you know, we'd have another cup match um, somewhere along the line around that time as well. So who knows? And possibly a lower league side if one of their managers get through. Who knows? Oh, but um, yeah. Beat Palace. Yeah, that would be so good, wouldn't it? Imagine it. Hardly for win at Palace. We draw the home and thrash it. Got, Love it. Uh, I'm quoting from um, a, a report uh, uh, Taimeo uh, who plays a right back for the under 23s he's been out injured for quite some time and he's just come back um, in for the last two or three games for the under 23s Who's that Raymond sorry? 
time Tainumo. I can't pronounce it properly. T a i n o m a or something. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. But apparently he's also very quick. Um, they, they quoted Beard, who had been coaching the under 18s as saying, in inverted commas, frighteningly quick. <laughs> yeah. He's just come back, and and so that's another quick right back. Um, yeah. You do need pace at this level, don't you? And I, I remember when we played Arsenal in the Cup, speaking of the Cup, and remember thinking we had a player, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Mikhail Smith, but someone who we thought was going to be quite pacey shuffling through. And he was so comfortably outpaced by um, one of the Arsenal, was it Koscielny or somebody? I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. But anyway, one of those guys just, it seemed to just, just glide past him and cover the ball so easily. And I think that that was just a good symbol of what the Premier League standards mm. involve is, is pace as well as the technical ability. And we've started to, I think, emphasise on that, haven't we, uh, with our recruitment. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, not not everybody, but a lot of them are pr- pretty rapid as well. Kukurea, I think um, is very, uh, very quick. Yeah, a pyre that's coming through. Um, you know, a few if of the other ones as well. If you're going to play yeah. people at wing-back, they have, you know, they have to have that sort of winger pace. Hmm. Although we're moving a bit away from that now, it'd be interesting to see whether we move back towards three at the back at some point, or whether we do stick with the the four at the back with Lamptey playing a bit further forward. Because hmm. Dolphins a very good, very good option at right back. He's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other thing, just to mention, I think well on the on the Leicester game. Um, I mean, we've, we've got to mention, we've already mentioned that Welbeck had a header before he had goal from a header. Um, but also we've had a couple of other chances. I mean, we horrendously spooned one over when, um, well, a couple of shots McAllister had from range. And also Modder had a um, a shot, which I think came directly from a McAllister corner, where he tried it with his left foot and it went right up directly above him into orbit. Um, not great from range in that match. Our shooting was pretty bad. Um, but one chance was good, but, um, which could have been a winner, was Trossard. See, but it was a really good ball in, and he absolutely leathered it, didn't he? Got a good ball, good, good contact on it. Schmeichel, who'd already made a good couple of saves beforehand, um, palmed it away nicely. Good save. He's a good goalie. But um, we had our chances, didn't we? And I think Trossard, on another day, that goes in, doesn't it? Or, or another goalkeeper. Yeah. I mean, Schmeichel's been a bit of a bugbear of ours, hasn't he? He's yeah. bought a little bit of a um, fly in the ointment. Um, Similarly, Dan Burns-Header on another day, there's no one on the line to head that away, and we, we win 2-1 there as well. Yeah, that, that's right, the Dan Burn header yeah. And unfortunately, for us, Tunemans was on the line there, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, we could have won 3-1 at the end. <laughs> could have done. Yeah, we could have done. Um, but we are, I wouldn't call us a, a bogey team of theirs now, but we've started to get some good results against them. They, they were a team that, we let run away with us a, a bit before, didn't we? The 3-0, I'm thinking of, particularly in recent times at their place. But now we've had a win and a draw in the league, and I know they won the, the cup match, but again, it was a narrow margin. I think in terms of the league, we're doing OK against them now. It's, it's an improvement. Long may it continue. I know they've had a lot of injuries at Leicester, and annoyingly, the uh, commentators on Sky did reference that and not reference anything uh, similar our end again. Uh, but there we go. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a positive um, set of results we've had against them recently. What we've got coming up, of course, just to move on to that, fixtures forthcoming. We've got a week off with this winter break that the um, Premier League are honouring from the original arrangement, despite 
fixture congestion. So we are having a week off. Then we've got the cup game at Tottenham on the 5th in the evening, uh, 5th of Feb. And then we look at our next league games. We've got Watford away on Saturday the 12th, three o'clock kickoff. What? <laughs> Saturday the 19th, we've got Burnley at home. Guess what? Three o'clock kickoff. And then we've got on Saturday the 26th of February, another home game against another team in Claret and Blue, Aston Villa, three o'clock kickoff. I can't get my head around this. I, I know. Surely. Let's just balance it out by saying there are engineering works on the London to Brighton line. Yes, exactly. They've literally chosen the two worst weekends to have Saturday three o'clock kickoffs. They've chosen <laughs> the actual engineering work. So it's almost like they've kind of looked at it and they're like, well, you know, you want a Saturday three o'clock kickoff? We'll give you one and laugh at us. <laughs> just one thing going back to the Leicester game. Obviously, Bill Hamburg was, uh, was sort of in the box uh, in a dugout and, and Potter wasn't. And I've been thinking in the last 24 hours, to what extent did um, Potter, you think, make the substitutions of Lamptey and Welbeck that little bit quicker than he would have done normally because he wasn't in the technical area and was watching mm. it slightly more distant and therefore could see earlier that we needed to make the change of what the change was. I, I actually yeah. I think that if you're too close to the action, you don't see it as well as if you're slightly, just slightly removed from it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I found from managing a Sunday football team, it's it's not that easy sometimes to read the game as well as you want to. I think that's a good point. Um, since our last episode, we, we mentioned that Graham Potter was going to be out and unfortunately unavailable. And Billy Reid in his press conference said he was going to be sitting in and, you know, Graham would be linked up, which obviously he would have been. But not to Billy Reid, because Billy Reid was, uh, in the end, ended up with COVID as well. He might so have been linked up to had... Billy Reid, to be fair. Well, he might have been, yeah. He might, he might have been, yeah. But um, yes, Bjorn uh, Hamburg came in, not the same spelling as the town, um, came in and and took over. And I do think your point's an interesting one, Raymond. Before we go on to that, can I just say, I'm, I'm getting um, Swedish Adam Virgo vibes from Hamburg. I don't know about you. Did you, did you feel that as well? It reminded me a little bit. <laughs> no offence to either of them. Actually, I thought his English was very good, I thought, actually. Um, oh, yeah, his English is fine. Yeah, he's good. Well, he's Swedish, Raymond, of course, of course. But he, I mean, he nice, seemed to do okay. Yeah, a nice demeanour, body language and everything. So, uh, no, I thought mm. he, he, he seems to have done a good job. Obviously, he had a feed of the game, but... Uh, yeah. uh, I mean, look, what you said about the view, I do think there's some, some pertinence to that point that, you know, you, you do get a, a more of a perspective. Obviously, you get the extra angles immediately as well. But even just the initial view you're looking at the game from is it's easier to read from further up and, or further out in this case. Um, and I wonder if um, maybe that maybe that had a part to play. Um, it certainly changed the game, um, I think, in terms of the likelihood of who was going to get a winner uh, or an equaliser and then a winner in our case. Um but I, yeah, it's an interesting one, Peter. What do you think about that? Yes, it's I, I, you know, some ways I can see it because like uh, you know, some managers used to sit in the stand the first half, didn't they, to see, and then just like yeah. come back with their their staff. And it's an interesting, yeah. Sometimes when you're right next to it, you might not see everything, but yeah, yeah. maybe it made him make a change earlier. Maybe I, I mean he's done been quite proactive with subs this season, actually. To be fair, um, mm. so I mean I'm not sure if it made a difference in that sense, but. I wonder, you know, how much decision making was who who made what, you know, who whether it was all Potter's decision or whether it was, you yeah. know, or whether 
you know, they've had a mixed discussion between them. So I imagine it probably is always a discussion between them as well. I mean, obviously, Poster's word is probably final, but he never does that. Yeah. Just he does his own thing without ever asking. Well, so there's no point having them there. Speak about the dugout, by the way. A lot of people, I haven't got the name to hand, but a lot of people have been mentioning another figure appearing in the dugout in recent weeks and months. And apparently this is one of the um, performance analysts who's been actually quite proactive. He's been going down intermittently to impart information firsthand, face-to-face with the management team. Um, so anyone that's been wondering who that is, it's one of the, um, yeah, it's one of the analysts. Um, I can't remember one, his name. He hasn't actually told you the name. Yeah, no, that's right. The next mystery is afoot now. But quickly moving on to the last couple of subjects, really, to, to talk about on this pod. Um, we've got to mention the women's team. Uh, they've had a bit of a slide, as we alluded to on Saturday, didn't we, Peter? Um, and they couldn't have had a worse game to try and rest that slide than Chelsea, albeit we were at home uh, and the, the game at Crawley, but managed to get a result. Um, speaking of Albion Goldies doing well, the goalkeeper was outstanding, wasn't she, in this one? Um, she made a number of saves. It ended up nil-nil. Um, actually, it was the first effort on goal from range. Um, we could have called them out and could have even done better. But we got a, a goal to straw with Chelsea. Apparently, it's the first time in nearly 60 games that they haven't scored a goal in a league game. I'm not sure if that fact is correct. But if it I is, it's we beat them 1-0 last year. Was it 2-1 in the end, then? That's what I thought. I thought it was 1-0. I thought but... it was 1-0. I, yeah. I, th- I think we drew with them, but I can't remember if it was one all or nil. There was one game we had. Against last them. season, we definitely <laughs> beat them. We scored. We scored an Olympic goal, didn't we? we scored from a corner. In which case, I we think... won one nil. Yeah, yeah. yeah so somebody was up, saying but... it was since. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if that's true, but nonetheless, they very rarely are, are left unable. School. So what a great result and well done to the ladies team there, to the women's team. Um, and, you know, that's uh, congratulations on that one. There is um, some other news. I mean, we, we're actually going to break this podcast off in a minute to go and, and listen in on uh, Paul Barber's online fans forum. Um, so he's doing one of those. A credit to him for doing it after having announced um, some information to do with the season tickets and a revision to the ticket exchange arrangements. So the season ticket prices have been frozen for next year. So thumbs up to the club for that. I was on, I was suspecting it was going to go up actually this year. I wouldn't have been surprised, but they haven't. They've frozen it, probably due to the ongoing difficulty of circumstance of some fans. I don't know, but well done to them for that. However, they did mention that they've only partially revised the, the, the rather controversial and debated arrangements surrounding um, season ticket holders giving their tickets to other people. Um, they've, I think what they've done is they've now taken away the... Uh, one of the charges, I think, is, is that right? And but you still have to be a My Albion Plus member to be able to take advantage of a season ticket holder's spare ticket, which is, I think, a large part of the issue still right. remaining. Because yeah, and I and I think it also it's only they're only taking away the charge for the other end for one game. I think you can only share for one game free, and after that, yes, that's right, as before. Yeah, so I don't think I don't think it's gone far enough. Personally, I don't. I no. didn't like the original system, and I know to be fair, we we should say that there's others who, who have said they do find it okay, and um, including people on Seagulls over London, we've exchanged messages with, and fair play, you know, respect their their opinions. I just don't think, certainly for my circle of friends or people I know and spoken to, that um, that it works well enough because what you can do is you can you the general sale you can get tickets but if you're not naturally inclined to go particularly if it's a matter of going on your own or not you're you're maybe not just going to go for those tickets and go to the game but if your season ticket holder can offer you a ticket oh fancy coming along i know you said you're not that interested but come along then you sell the idea to them by going with their friends 
you know, one of them can't make it, the others can. So you're with people and, and you have a more positive experience. I think that's worth a lot. So I don't think it's gone far enough. But no, I, fair, I fair play either. to Paul Barber. Fair play to Paul Barber. He is now doing a fans forum just this very evening within 24 hours of announcing that. So at least he's there to face any music <laughs> that might be played from the Albion um, the concert hall itself. Um, uh, Raymond, quickly on that. And also well, you wanted I, to mention about Fab, didn't you? What I'm not quite sure about is what's happening with the um, upgrading of tickets, because there was an announcement in early January about saying that, that opposed to being limited to X numbers of upgrading, if you're taking somebody on a season ticket, um, yeah. you'd be able to upgrade as many times as possible. So what I, it made me wonder, are you still allowed to upgrade uh, over and above the sharing of the tickets? And is it a totally separate thing? In other words, as you probably both know, we've got two tickets. And therefore, there are times when I might want to ask. I have a friend who lives very close to Lewis Station. We used to go yeah. in the fifties and sixties together to watch to watch the Albion. Um, I'd be nice to you know, ring him up and say, "Hi, Richard. You know, we'd like to come. There's a match, and just take him. I wouldn't have to upgrade per se, but just say I'm using it as an upgrade because he's an old age pensioner like me. But the point is, does that mean I can effectively use the second ticket? without having to worry about the share exchange scheme. And yeah, that well, confused me. I don't know what the, um, you know, if, if one replaces the other um, and, and what yeah. the situation is. Well, I haven't got an answer for you, but I guess that's one to pop to Paul tonight, then, Raymond, when you, when you log on for that one. Um, it's interesting, though. I mean, it, we'll, we'll see how that works out. Just to round off, because we do need to finish the pod now, but just you, I think Raymond wanted to mention FAB, um, a, a fans initiative that's also been announced. Um, essentially, there's a proposal to have a is it an eight an eight person panel of fans from representative fans from different areas, all season ticket holders or members um, who can input to the club uh, on a system that's going to be fronted by Jenny Gower, head of um, sort of fan services, I believe is her title. And um, Raymond, what, what can you tell us about that? And what's your views on that? Well, you wanted to talk about it, didn't you? I, I mean, firstly, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, FAB stands for Fans Advisory Board, uh, and they yeah. will meet with members of the board um, four times a year, and one one meeting of which will be with the full board um, for for input and and consultation by the club and you know, what what the fans think. This is in addition to all the normal initiatives that the club have already had, and the, the subject matter. I've got it in front of me, so I'll read it out. These are the subjects that they want the fans to uh, have feedback on. Club vision and stability. Equality, diversity and inclusion. Sustainability and environmental issues. Match day experience, home and away. Tickets including pricing, or ticketing including pricing. Stadium catering and hospitality. Communications with supporters. De developing and building the fan base relevant for Seoul, um, community work and charity partnerships and club traditions and heritage, which is a yeah. fairly wide-ranging brief. It's just mm. almost as the only thing they haven't got in there is um, transfer activity. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I mean, fair enough. Asking for the fans' input and by going for a panel of eight people from different areas, 
uh, I think that's mm. you know, that's a good initiative. And I can see, yeah. I don't know how many other clubs already have such a thing. But well, I think somebody somebody tonight has announced that they're, they're looking to do that. Is it Aston Villa, I think, maybe? But anyway, yeah, there, there, there may be other clubs. But I think but it's I, a good but, initiative. But there then might be a, a sort of a national club's thing sitting above it. I wouldn't be surprised if they then won't actually have a representative from you know, other clubs in, in, a, in a bigger one above that um, to consult hmm. with presumably the Premier League um, board or, or whatever. But I can yeah. see... I mean, they're... Yeah, including fans I think it's part I assume it's part of this whole reorganization of football and how it's and governance of football and I think this is yeah as one of the leaders yet again yeah I think so and I think it's yes yeah, no doubt tied in with the charter initiative and the the findings of that um that's happened recently and uh, from Tracy Crouch um no doubt it's sort of aligned with that I think it's a good initiative it seems like it's a there's, there's other clubs doing this as well. I welcome it. I think it's a good idea if there could be any more good input between fans of clubs and those clubs, and then that's that's all for all for the good. Um, good lines of communication are always helpful. And if, in for example, our case, we've had this issue with tickets, a lot of debates around that. This is a chance for people to put forward um, points that are made by other fans to the representatives for them to then put forward to the club, and you know, hopefully through conversation rather than just occasional statements going backwards and forwards you get more kind of meat on the bone and uh, a lot more interactivity which can't do anything but help really as long as we I say we the club listens to whatever feedback there is and acts on it in a suitable way which I think in our case generally you've got a good chance of, <laughs> of happening um then I think it's a good thing um just to wrap up on that then Peter your, your views on that last st- subject yeah, I, th- I think it's a it's a good thing. The, the issue comes, I think, in a situation where the club are very keen on something like they've come up with this Pickington scheme, and there'll be no way that a fans panel will support that. So, what happens then? You know, because obviously, if they just go ahead with it, even ignoring the fans, which they've done anyway on this, then and and not change it for next season, then are people going to be like, well, what's the point of this? Is it just a kind of like t- box ticking exercise? So they need to make sure that you know there is some. They do listen to the fans at least on some things if they're going to do this. Otherwise, there's no point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, just there we go. We'll... Raised one other issue, totally sort of left field. But well, with all the sudden sort of violence going retrograde, sort of step back to past times with fans running onto the pitch and throwing uh, things onto, onto the pitch, etc., uh, which I guess are fueled by alcohol and some reports saying cocaine. Um, how much is that done to the late scheduling of games that TV are doing? And how much do the TV companies have a responsibility to perhaps schedule games, not at eight o'clock on a Friday, but say at 7.30, in order that people have less time to partake of those sort of things beforehand, and also to help people travelling back again afterwards, incidentally. Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm raising mm. it as an issue. That are the TV yeah. companies so uh, determined on their scheduling that they that they are responsible in a way for creating another problem? Yeah, well, I think TV companies won't really care themselves. Should they be responsible? I don't know. I mean, it's a difficult one. This is more of a cultural, behavioural issue that I think would probably permeate anyway. Obviously, yeah, if, if, if you've got games at twelve o'clock, it's less likely people are going to snort yeah. cocaine 
before they go to a game, for example. But I don't but, think half an hour is going to make much difference there. No, not half an hour or, or having sort of slightly earlier kickoffs. Um, but I do think that um, it's largely the responsibility of uh, of the um, the clubs to just enforce um, good behaviour and obviously to, to issue banning orders as and when necessary. There's the nothing much more they can themselves. do. It's a wider, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's a wider cultural issue, isn't it? That I don't. I think it's going to go away for a while, unfortunately. It is slightly disturbing that suddenly we've got this this mm. outbreak. Yeah, I mean it's it's terrible. I can't can't remember if I mentioned on on uh, this podcast, but um, there's in France it's getting really bad. You had Dimitri Payet on two occasions has been hit by objects. Both games abandoned. On one occasion, the game was I think replayed or given as a, a draw when the one when Payet's team were winning, which is Marseille, um, which is outrageous. There's been issues with Lyon fans. Um, being attacked by PSG fans who went to a game against the smaller Paris team, uh, infiltrated, attacked the Lyon fans. The Lyon ultras then ended up attacking women and children and anyone around them. Um, horrendous scenes. There's been other loads of incidences of missiles being thrown. In Spain, the Seville derby, a Betis fan threw a, a quite a long stick and hit the back of the head of one of the rival players um, when I think when he just scored a goal. Um, you know, and he, he was actually, after seemingly okay, he was actually turned out to be, you know, he, he had a bit of a, a bad reaction to that injury. There's too many of those things going on, and that's just listing abroad. And in, in England, yeah, we've had far too many incidents, the worst probably being the recent Millwall Palace game, where Millwall fans were once again covering themselves in disgrace. But um, it is a worry, but I think it's one for general society, I think. on And on that lovely cheery note, we'll, we'll round off this episode. So... Um, Peter, as always, it's been great. Raymond, thank you for joining us. Always good to have you on, the gents. Ladies and gentlemen, have you enjoyed yourself? Yeah, I haven't very much. A, a, you know, fairly wide-ranging conversation. Uh, a pity we haven't got more time because you mentioned Cameroon and we haven't even touched on that. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, just very briefly saying, yeah, Cameroon, unfortunately, there was a tragedy in the AFCON um, at a Cameroon game. I mean, it's kind of shades of what could have happened at Wembley in the summer. There was a stampede to get into the ground. I think there's 60, no, it's an 80 or 60,000 stadium. There was a reduced capacity, which is something like two thirds allowance. And um, more people wanted to go in than were allowed. And there was a stampede at the south end of the stadium. And unfortunately, eight people so far have been reported as having died. And about 38, I think it is, other people seriously injured, um, including seven in a fairly critical state. So awful scenes there. Um, I don't know too much about it so far, other than uh, the fact that it's, um, you know, the competition's continuing, but um, they, they've moved the venue for Cameroon's next game because they did get through in that match. Um, but yeah, awful, awful scenes there. So much more to talk about, but we do have to wrap it up there. So again, thank you, Raymond, for joining us. And we will be possibly in the pub, might be the pub next time. Um, when we've got a preview for the Spurs game, will probably be our next um, board of call. In the meantime... Peter, will sign out in our usual way, shall we, by saying, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.